This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Peter Tomasi. Hi, this is James Hyman IV. Hi, I'm Dan Jurgens. Hey, I'm Duff Wood. This is Jim Lee. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Mark Hamill speaking. This is Kevin Conroy. This is Tim Sale. Hello, everyone. I'm Batman, and you're listening to my podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, Season 12, Episode 2, Legacy Number 289. I'm Ian. This is Steph. And this is Theo. And we're here to give you your week, uh, well, bi-weekly dose of Batman family comics, reviews, commentary, and general discussion. So... Um, one question that occurred to me after our interview of Theo last episode was, um, and this is spurred from our discussion on the Discord, how do people collect your comics? Do you read them entirely digitally? Do you read them mostly in trades? Do you get them at your store? Or do you get them on a mail service? I read them through the review copies. <laughs> so digitally. And then when I find ones I like, I usually will get them in trade unless there's one specific issue I really loved and it's not going to be in a trade or I don't want to pay for the whole run of whatever because there's just one issue I like. So primarily trades. All right. So old guy here, um, (laughs) you know, people may not. Well, I I would assume most comic book readers would know what a spinner rack is but when mm-hmm. i first when i first started buying you know as a kid you know my place to go for comic books was actually the 7-elevens of the world you know who would have spinner racks of comic books uh once once i became a little bit more independent and you know was allowed to travel a little further from home uh that's when i became aware of the local comic shop and um that became my go-to uh for getting my comic books and um i've been doing that ever since um that will last until the end of this month actually the local comic shop uh that i've been with for at least 15 years I'm going to be departing from and uh, going to a mail service. Um, Yeah. The the ownership of the the shop now just isn't customer friendly. Uh, Mm I couldn't get, I I actually live about two hours away from that comic shop. So I was actually traveling uh, to pick up my books and it got to a point where it really wasn't cost effective, but I really couldn't get a commitment from those guys to ship um, and ship on a regular basis. So uh, 
for the month of February, I'll be starting uh, going through a mail service to uh, get my monthly comics. That's really cool. I mean, you're mentioning that sort of was what triggered this uh, question for me. I've been doing a regular pull box at two different comic shops, uh, one in Virginia, and then I moved back to Minnesota this year for the last uh, four years since Rebirth started. And I I'd, I'd picked up comics on a semi-regular basis, one at a time, but Rebirth is where I really started my pull list. I also love doing... Um, those sales on Comixology, the digital sales, because I bought a tablet just to read comics on. And when you get those, you know, four or five dollar trades, especially when they have thirteen or twenty issues in them, that's a really good deal. I will also do um, DC Universe in terms of reading individual issues that are, you know, archives. That's a really good way to do that if you've got a good digital platform. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I I, I have a cost. A comicsology account as well, but I if if I buy digital, I almost exclusively buy it on the Amazon side, simply so that I can have it in both locations. Um, and then the other thing, you know, that I prefer buying from Amazon is for the fact that I can convert that Amazon file. I do not like the Kindle Reader, uh, nor do I like the comicsology. Uh, reader. Um, so I will convert that Amazon file to a PDF or something else so I can read it on a reader that I actually prefer. Um, but I typically when I buy digital, it's almost always digital trades. Yeah, I don't, unless they're doing a 99 cent sale, I don't see the point of buying digital single issues, especially when you have something like DC Universe. It just is not cost effective or particularly rewarding the the digital thing is definitely something we should probably do a patreon podcast about just because there's so many thoughts that i'm sure all comics readers have about digital and its convenience and how it works and the biggest thing of course is the ridiculousness of the price but yes <laughs> so, so so have you tried reading on the tv no i that uh, just doesn't seem right to me like sounds awful at least with a kindle you have something in your hand it is one of those things where it it takes a lot of getting used to. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not advocate it, <laughs> but you know, if 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 push comes to shove and I'm just in that mood, yeah, it, it's 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 not a great thing having to use a remote control to turn up to turn a page, blah blah blah. Well, and also, unless the art's really high definition, I would imagine if you've got any kind of decent-sized TV, it won't look that great if you go panel to panel. True. Um, that's a good point. I mean, sometimes I, I look at all the time, and because they clearly spent a lot of time and money trying to figure out how to do TV comics, and I'm just like, it's so not worth it, guys. Why did you spend so much time on this? Oh, okay. And uh, the other thing that we're going to talk a little bit about before we get to our comic reviews is the decade variants for Robin's 80th anniversary 100-page super spectacular comic due out in March. All of the decade covers are now available um, except for Jim Lee's in color. We have his inks with Scott Williams, but we don't have the colors for that yet. Um, So let's talk about the covers we're all excited for. Yes. 
Well, I I scanned through them quickly. I haven't. I don't think my excitement level is quite as high, but I'm I'm moderately interested. And I did note that a lot of the people who are angry about DC never showing Dick's original costume are going to be quite happy because there was a lot of hat pants in the pictures that I saw. <laughs> a lot of short shorts, booty booty shorts, whatever you call booty them. Shorts. <laughs> <laughs> so that was fun <laughs> so I've I've already gone and placed my order for um for the 80th spe- spectacular and you know I would mentioned on the discord how disappointed I was you know because when you have these pre-orders there's the uh, final order cutoff that uh, Diamond typically places on uh, comic shops and, you know, mail order services, you know, to where they get orders in on time. And I was quite disappointed that at, you know, as we were approaching final order cutoff, that they hadn't released any of the covers for the spectacular. And as soon as I put that fuss on the discord, next thing you know, the, the, the final order, the, the, they released the covers, which kind of, disappointed me because I had already ordered a cover that I really uh-huh. didn't want. Um, so instead of having two books, I now have three. But Ian would be happy to know one of the ones I did order is uh, the Steph cover. The Steph cover. <laughs> All right. Well, that sort of gives away what I'm excited about. I <laughs> I was hoping, but I didn't expect to get at least one cover with Stephanie Brown as Robin. And I got two of them the 2000s variant by Derek Chu who's done a lot of retailer exclusives and it's it's not quite like Josh Middleton so it's a little more action oriented a little more aggressive than a Josh Middleton cover he's been doing the Batgirl variant covers for the current rebirth run and they're gorgeous um but it's it's very uh light and it's very a lot of really vibrant colors and shading so it's got an impressionistic look. It's not like hyper real because the edges can be really sort of muted, uh, really blown out by light effects. But I really like that. Um, and there's also the 2010s cover by Yasmin Putri is all of the Robins, including Steph and um, Carrie. Carrie. Uh, and it's, it's just each one of them has a different attitude and a different pose. And it's really fun to look at. I've, I've been a fan of Yasmin Putri since she started doing variant covers and actually some main covers for James Tynan's Detective Comics run way back in like 2016, 2017. Yeah, those are the two. Those are the two additional ones that I ordered. Um, it was initially going to be uh, the Frank Miller, but when I saw Yasmin's cover, I was like, "Oh no, I have to get that. I would really love to get that in a print." You know, that's how good it looks. Yeah, I mean, she clearly loves all those characters because they're all done just so well. Um, there's also, I mean, Jim Chung's cover for the, the 90s with Tim Drake and Batman Upside Down. That's just so dynamic, and Tim's smile is so characteristic of him. Um, yeah. I am I am still holding out hope that there will be store exclusives. I've, I've already reached out to a few uh, that have typically done store exclusives, and they say that they aren't doing them, but I'm still holding out hope that there will be a store exclusive that will uh, uh, have Damien. Uh, it's a little disappointing that they've they've left out both Damien and, and Jason. 
It is odd. Someone on uh, CBR's forum suggested that instead of variants for the decades, they should have gone variants for each Robin. So you could have had probably mm-hmm. two of Dick and then one of Jason, one of Tim, one of Steph, one of Damien, one of Carrie, one of Duke, one of the We Are Robins. I mean, well, I'd say all the We Are Robins belong on Duke's cover. And maybe even one of uh, Matt McGinnis from the Batman Beyond universe. Like, Oh, yeah. I, I oh, think that's that, interesting. I think... I understand that we have this whole decade thing going on because they've done it for Wonder Woman and Flash and Batman and Superman. But I think Robins are a little different. Um, Robin didn't have a solo title till the 90s, so it wasn't quite the same as trying to capture what Detective Comics was back in the 1940s and so forth. It is nice that Tim's getting his moment, though, because I feel like he's been ignored. Or no, he has been ignored <laughs> for a long time. So it is cool that a lot of the covers are him and Dick. Um, and Carrie and Steph. I, I expect that we'll get at least, I want to say at least five, hopefully 10 to 20 variant covers. We definitely won't get the 36 that Wonder Woman 750 had. But I, I would be surprised if zero stores do retailer exclusives. Um, and I would hope that Damien, since he is the current Robin, would get a pretty cool cover, maybe by uh, Francisco Matina, who's done some pretty cool Robin and Batman work. Or, I don't know. I mean, I would also be really surprised if um, uh, Nicholas Scott's Nightwing cover wasn't a, a store exclusive for the Australian shop that she does her exclusives for. I mean, it's been getting a lot of coverage anyway. Uh, the cover. <laughs> yeah, the co- the cover <laughs> where she has bat. Uh, d- for those who haven't seen it, Nicola Scott has done these covers for Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, and she did one for Dick Grayson with all the different Nightwings. And the front Dick is turned around, so his uh rear end is quite prominently displayed. <laughs> it's pretty funny. All right, so um. With that out of the way, our little discussion previews, let's get started on our reviews. We've got three comics this week because it is a fifth week and we've got an annual to review. But we're going to get started with Batman number 87. Written by James Tynan IV, drawn by Guillaume March. Somewhere in Gotham, the Riddler, naked and hopped up on amphetamines, hacks into Penguin's private communications channel. Riddler hasn't slept in months. He has been obsessed with solving an equation he believes is the key to Gotham. Penguin, on the other hand, is preoccupied with impaling unnamed henchmen to death with an umbrella, and he doesn't appreciate the intrusion. Riddler apologizes for an intrusive ramblings and gets to the point. The five assassins who were apprehended last issue were the first part of a greater plan. He reminds Penguin of a plan once concocted long ago, to which Penguin responds that he remembers this all too well and has already begun preparing for the storm by killing all his henchmen. Oswald then advises Riddler to close up shop and disappear for a while. Riddler says he already tried that in last year's Year of the Villain, the Riddler number one. It didn't work. When asked what the Penguin was going to do, Oswald replies... I will not see my inner circle torn down by an outsider. I am doing the smart thing. I'm cleaning house. I've just eliminated my inner circle. Riddler then reminds Penguin that they made a deal with someone called the Designer, 
and she is coming to collect. At One Place Plaza, Commissioner Harvey Bullock and the GCPD booked the five assassins apprehended in the last issue. Over at Tricorner Yards, Catwoman uploads blueprints to Batman. It seems that someone has a competing vision for what Gotham could be from Bruce Wayne. Batman senses that Selina knows more than she's letting on, but she won't reveal her hand. Below the new GCPD headquarters, which was funded by the Wayne Rebuild Committee, sits a new subterranean prison known as the Black Block. Cheshire, Gunsmith, Mr. Teeth, Deathstroke, and Merlin are housed inside its escape-proof walls. Batman pays them a visit and questions Deathstroke about their employer. Deathstroke refuses to answer. Batman then asks Commissioner Bullock to open Cheshire's cell. Bullock refuses it, sir, citing how toxic and poisonous she is. Batman orders Bullock to do so anyway. Once the cell is open, Batman notices that Cheshire's face is made of clay. She's a body double, which means that the real Cheshire is somewhere outside in Gotham. Batman bores the Batwing and asks Lucius Fox to prepare the bat shot. Lucius tracks down Cheshire while Batman straps into a body-sized board with wheels. When the Batwing nears Cheshire's location, Batman fires himself along the side of a skyscraper in the bat shot. As he closes in on Cheshire, she takes notice. The two fight. Cheshire has Batman pinned and believes she has the upper hand until Batman drives the bat shot under a truck. Cheshire is defeated. At the Black Block, Deathstroke is released from his cell. He takes down Commissioner Bullock and waits for the door into the Black Block to open. Over the intercom, Penguin informs Deathstroke that the designer's plans are being hijacked. Oswald is altering them. So, second issue of James Tynan IV's run on Batman. Uh, I have a couple questions. First, what did you think of this second issue? Why are Penguin and Riddler so yucky? Like, Do you mean visually that's not or just, like their behavior? Yeah, you know, no, like visually, like... That's not just Guillermo March's art style, which I don't like either. But aside from that, like there is something like obviously wrong with Riddler. Ugh. Well, <laughs> out or something. That like, what is got... wrong? Because I, I read it was a while ago, but I read you know Year of the Villain, and he that he did he wasn't naked. <laughs> well, I think that this is part of James Tynan's uh, mission statement. So he says that Batman should be an action horror superhero comic. And he's pushing his artists to make every panel something horror or dark. And I think that's yes. really what he's doing with the Riddler here. I, uh, uh, but this is so extreme without any explanation. Like I fell into I mean, a He's been awake for three months or... and he's hopped up on a methamphetamines. <sighs> And like Riddler, I mean, not Riddler, Penguin looks like a pumpkin, a, like a wrinkly pumpkin. Like, it's really, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would, the, the Penguin isn't as much of an issue to me as, as the Riddler is. And, and I'm, I'm like Steph, I was, where did this Riddler come from? You know, because I, I too read his year of the villain and, you know, there's a lot of off-panel in here, um, mm-hmm. getting from Year of the Villain to where we are now. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping at some point we get an explanation of more than just being hyped up on, on drugs um, and how Nigma gets to be to where he is now. I mean, because he is very deformed. This, yeah. this seems to be more than just a, 
a drug binge. Well, I I don't think that we're meant to take how he looks literally. I I took that as a visual exaggeration to just show how just insane his mental state is right now. I would, I don't know, but he still has his cane. And like, that was one of the things he got rid of in year of the villain. I don't know. Just, it's quite, it's a, it's a far, it's far away from, from year of the villain. Like he's stepped back apparently. Cause he's riddled me this, riddled me that again with his cane, but he's also, I don't know. He looks so weird. I don't mind the horror aspect of it, but the fact is that they weren't like that before. They are now, and we have no explanation why. And that is a pretty severe metamorphosis. I don't know. So after that distraction, (laughs) um, I thought it was interesting. I thought it was a little dumb that Bruce Wayne built that super great, awesome, brand new prison to replace Blackgate and Arkham, and they had it hacked in two panels. But... I don't know. It was all right. Those two things were really my standout. What the heck's? What do you think, Theo? Yeah, the, again, just kind of piggybacking stuff. Yeah, the 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 Riddler thing really got me. Um, other than that, I love the art. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of Gillian March, um, but I just couldn't get past Enigma. And I'm, uh, again, I, I hope at some point we get a a story as to how uh, Edward got to look the way he looks now. Um, but I hope we, I, I hope it's soon. Cause especially if we, we are going to get more of uh Riddler down the line. Um, two things that stuck out with me, especially considering the review we did last episode, um, so it seems as if, um, you know, we asked the question as to whether or not Selena would reveal who it is. And we see that she hasn't. So it kind of brings us back to the question is, uh, of whether or not Selena um, is truly left the, the past behind her with her villainous ways. Um, yeah, so that 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 was the first thing that popped in my head, and um, I'm still not used to calling Harvey Book Bullock uh, commissioner. So that, that that hasn't sat well with me yet, but I guess it's going to have to get there eventually. Well, for at least uh, I would say four months, probably. Um, and I like Harvey as commissioner. I like Harvey a lot, um, but I like Jim more. So I'm definitely missing Jim I like- Gordon. I like that Harvey is not a big fan of it. Like he's like, "Don't call me commissioner. <laughs> this isn't he, gonna last long." He definitely he definitely is a a, a different take on the on the position. Mm-hmm. You, you know, if you if you expect him to be a Jim Gordon, you're going to be sadly uh, disappointed. But I think that's good that um, Tyne is not just writing him as generic cop. He's he's got a distinct yeah. personality and style. Like yes. is clearly Harvey. If you've if you've yeah. liked Harvey from animated series, you've liked Harvey in the comics. This is who he is. All right. So even, um, even Gotham a little bit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I actually really love Donald Logue as an actor. I haven't watched a ton of Gotham, but I do I really like what like I've him seen as, of him. He's as really good. He he's a little glimmer of hope in that show. <laughs> it's over. I, I was a fan of 
of of Gotham. You know, I I, I went in Yay. knowing that it wasn't going to be the the Batman that we knew, the Gotham Central that we've all read, and you know that some of it was based on. Um, so I was okay with Gotham. You know, I thought Gotham received a lot of undue unnecessary criticism some stuff yes could definitely have been left behind uh fish mooney uh but um i i i enjoyed gotham and i enjoyed gotham i have an ally yay (laughs) what did you think ian or did you already talk about that Well, I think that I, I'm a really big fan of what Guillaume March has been doing. Guillaume March did a couple of guest art issues for um, James Tynan's Detective Comics run, and I really liked those. And I've gone back and reread his stuff for Gotham City Sirens, and I have a much better appreciation um, of what he does now. Um, he, There is no mistaking that he does a lot of cheesecake. Um <laughs> But I think he's also extremely expressive, not just with faces, but with body language and and acting. And he's definitely got a real sense of visual design and very much the grotesque. I mean, if James Tynan wants an artist who can really sell you um, action, horror, superhero, I'd say Guillaume March is pretty spot on for that tone. I, also, I think that's one reason. Sorry, I was going to say. I think that's one reason I don't really like him, and because the only word I can think of when I look at his art is is fleshy, and that's not a bad thing. That's just not my aesthetic. So if you like that, then that's. I mean, I I see it. I get it. Not my favorite. And but. I think I think that's totally fair. I yeah. I really like the fact that Guillaume March is instantly recognizable as yes. Guillaume March, and Definitely. he's not house style, but he he's still very accessible. It's not difficult to understand what he's doing or what he's trying to convey. You may not like that. I mean, I have this complaint about uh, Frank Quitely and Chris Burnham. I don't like what they do. I think they do it very well. Um, And I'd say that just like those artists, March tends to have such a strong style that he elicits those strong reactions both for and against. Yeah, I I agree. I I agree with Ian. You know, Guillaume March... If he if if you're looking for someone that's going to do a DC house style drawing, he's not the person that you want to call upon. But if 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 Tynion is is bringing a little bit of horror, you know, to to the bat to to Batman, you know, I think he fits the mold pretty well. Um, and you know, I definitely enjoyed the action that he brought to this issue. It was very good. So now let me ask this. So it seems that we have two big bads because not only uh was this prison hacked by whoever hired Deathstroke and Gang, but it seems uh Penguin has as well. If I'm reading this right. Well, I think there's a lot of stuff going on. I think there's a lot of overlapping plots because each of these villains is, uh, they're they're not really supporting characters. I mean, they function as supporting characters when they're in Batman, but each of them has had solos and one shots and um, some of them even movies devoted to them. So 
I would say that what we're seeing here is just so many different leading, strong, uh, violent characters having competing plans, and Tynan's doing a, a pretty exciting job of showing those things colliding into each other in an interesting way. It almost it almost has a little bit of a hush feel to it. Not much, just a little. With all of these, or if not hush, e- eternal, with all of these villains coming out of the woodwork. I could see hush. Um, it it's not a copycat. Ha- but it feels like it. Like not, it, has it has the, the same like mission statement of here's the big players and we're going to play with mm-hmm. all of them in yes. the same way that Hush did. And Batman Eternal. I mean, Batman Eternal was <laughs> tied so that would make sense. <laughs> okay, so second question. Um, originally, this was going to be Tony Daniel doing the art. Um, he's been super busy with Hollywood projects and doing covers for Marvel, and so they've called in Guillaume March to do the art. We've already talked about that, but how does the change in artist affect you? Does it matter to you at all? Do you think you would have preferred the same basic script with Tony Daniel doing it? Um, what do you think? Remind an ignoramus who Tony Daniel was. Is he the one that did the um, the gift? Yes, and he also did the last issue of this run. Okay. I think they're similar enough that it, it flows pretty well. I mean, they're obviously different, but I think they're their fleshy style they're they're almost not grotesqueness but they're they're not being too worried about being perfect house i think flows pretty pretty good while still being distinct yeah i I, they are similar but you can tell the difference between the two but um do we know uh, is is March finishing out this arc, or are we expecting Daniel back at some point? We are not expecting it, Daniel back. He's just doing covers for the next for the next two issues, I believe. But March is doing this issue, the next issue, and then he's splitting issue eighty nine with Carlo Pagulian, who's famous for doing Deathstroke, and then Jorge Jimenez is doing ninety and ninety one. Then I am definitely okay with this change. Again, you know, one of the things, and I've even said it in the in the previous episode. You know, when when you make these changes on the art team, it can totally distract from the story. Um, even if the artists are similar in style, and March and, and Daniel do have some similarities, but as long as they're not going to be switching back and forth, I think the mm-hmm. fact that 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 March is going to finish this out is a wonderful idea. I am not the biggest Tony Daniel fan. I know he's one of the, the favorite bat artists um, and he's worked on a ton of really great stories and also some not so great stories. Not so great stories. <laughs> um, I'm thinking primarily here of his run on detective comics, but that's because he was also writing. Um, he, he seems to not really be into the monthly schedule recently. Um, and I think that's a bummer. And to some extent, it's not fair because he's always been put on twice monthly books. And that's just murder on any artist. Um, I, I just prefer March. I, I find him more interesting. And I tend to find him also more beautiful, despite the the grotesquerie that he likes to put into his art. Um, and I think it's been more than time to give him a sort of Batman defining uh, chance, like a chance to be the Batman artist. And Tynan is clearly a fan of 
uh, promoting this arc in that way. So I think that's really good. Um, second main question, I would guess, would be, Tynan has said that his supporting cast is the villains. How do you think he used them? Do you feel like that was uh, a fair description, that the villains are the supporting cast? Or do they feel um, like just any other villain? Like, how do you feel Tynan uses the villains in this issue? Well, I mean, as for, like, plot-wise, like, some of them are also trying to figure things out. And so it's not just, here's the evil plan, brah ha 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 we will get him. It's like, whoa, whoa, no, no, what is the plan? And and it's people derailing other people's plans. Like we were saying at the end, you know, is is Penguin really the one that's pu- pulling the strings at the end, or is he not? And so it's it's them keeping us guessing but also each other. And I, I like that. I like, I like the villains not being all knowing and I like our heroes not being all knowing and I like not being all knowing myself. And so it's just, there's almost like a fairness <laughs> to that. Like no one knows what's going on. And I like that. So I think that was well used. Yeah. And, and I think the fact that he's using a character such as Deathstroke, you know, Deathstroke coming off of his, own main title uh, kind of signifies that, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't want to use these, you know, B and, and C and D list villains. You know, he wants to be big time mainstream in using the bad guys and defining his his Batman. Um, I I like how he's used them thus far, and even when you look at some of the the B and C list characters that he's brought in, you know, um, such as Merlin, you know, who is a green car- a green arrow villain and a Cheshire, you know, who's a B C list um villain, you know, he's making them more prominent. I if if you look at the issue you see more of them uh than you actually do see of Batman. And when you see Batman he's going with these villains. So, you know, I think Tynan has done a good job of of focusing on the villains as he said he would. I agree. I actually am I'm not the biggest fan of villains, as I think most people know. I much prefer the heroes, especially the Vat, Bat family, because uh, I like heroic interactions where people sacrifice and, and work to try and make other people happy. But I do think Tynan is living up to what he said. I think this is truth in advertising. Um, and I'm I'm excited to see how Batman faces up. I, I thought this was a little um, more villains than Batman. Like, the villains stuck out, partly because uh, just how vividly they were drawn. But I would have liked to see a bit more direct confrontation between Batman and the main villains, because he mostly just took out Cheshire, who feels like a, a secondary villain here. She's not really the driver. She's not really the planner. She's sort of one of the muscle, even though her muscle is poison. Um, so I'm sure we'll get more direct confrontations between Batman and the villains as we go on. Uh, I just think that it felt sort of like uh, the villains guest starring Batman this this week. Um, but that's one of the benefits of twice monthly shipping, where you can spend a little more time on characters who you wouldn't on a monthly title just because you'd have to have the expectation of this is a Batman comic. So we have to have Batman in every page. You don't well, have I to think do that. that also, so 
it supports what he was saying about how if the bad guys are going to be like, oh gosh, what'd you call them? Sub sub characters, <laughs> sub oh, having a brain fart, but also starring, you know, the, the bad guys for them to just be in scenes with Batman where Batman's beating them up. We're not going to get much plot. We're not going to get much character development. We're not going to get much, you know, skullduggery and sneakery. Like it's, I, I, I like that Batman took a backseat in this issue. I, I don't mind it. Fair enough. So, last question. We're building up to an original villain of Tynan's called The Designer. What are your expectations and or fears for this villain? Well, when I first heard it, it makes, it makes you kind of think of, like, the broker and the carpenter. Um, so I wonder if it's someone on that, in that ilk. Like, it's someone who, who is more usually behind the scenes, but maybe this time is taking a more front front page front frontal attack on Batman, but is still like behind the scenes using other people to do it. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful, you know, who knows? Maybe this will be the next, the next big villain that will stick around forever. Probably not though. My big, Oh, go ahead. Steph. I was just going to say, I, I hope that they're, they're not, you know, the Arkham Knight. <laughs> Well, not along that line, but my biggest fear is is that this this designer will flame out and become another Mister Bloom um, from from Snyder's run. You know, someone that could have been pretty good, but may have been drawn out too long. Um, after a point, I just got tired of Bloom and and when. You know when Endgame ended, um, not Endgame, but when um, Jim Bats, you know that that arc finally ended. You know we never heard from Bloom again. Um, I hope that you know by the time it's all said and done, that you know, like Steph said, that this this is a character that we'll remember him and would want to come back. Uh, so I'm just hoping that he doesn't, he or she, whoever the designer turns out to be. Uh, doesn't go the way of, of Bloom from Snyder's run. My worry is a little more specific. Um, I'm sure Admiral will back me up here and say that while Batman and Robin Eternal may have had some good moments, Mother was not really one of them, Mother being the main villain of Batman and Robin Eternal. And I'm worried that a mastermind female villain with ties to the past it's just too similar to Mother here, and we're going to end up with another generic bad girl who can fight with ninja swords. Agreed. See, I got your back. <laughs> I, I knew you would. You're a <laughs> good co-host. Um, now, wouldn't it be awesome, and, and I know it won't happen, but wouldn't it be awesome that if somehow this designer, and I know it's not the, the case, but if this designer turns out to be uh, our big bad for um, Batcat, and it turns out to be Phantasm. Oh, that would be interesting. That that would require Tom King to actually work with somebody else, though. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone knows I love Tom King, but he does not play well with others. So true. I was thinking when I also when I first heard the name, I was imagining someone like Tim Gunn, you know, from Project Running, coming and be like. <gasps> Darlings, this is fabulous. <laughs> I think that would be hilarious. 
That is not where my mind went, but that would be hilarious. (laughs) I think that'd be so delightful. Uh, Yeah, as long as I feel like they'd get in trouble. As long as he isn't creating a big bad just for the sake of creating a big bad, you know, I'm okay. There there needs to be bigger plans down the line for whoever this designer turns out to be. you know, we've seen recently, you know, other creators come out with new villains, such as um, Hill and his detective run. And, you know, he came out and it just went by the wayside or even um, Tomasi with the Arkham Knight run, you know, and we haven't seen Arkham Knight and we haven't seen... Um, Ingrid since then so you know it as long as it's not something that you know make an appearance and we never hear from this person again I'm, I'm i'm okay with i mean if you go back and read a bunch of the 90s comics or the 80s comics they were constantly in, inventing pretty forgettable villains i think part of the problem is that nowadays Comics seem to try and treat them as like the biggest thing. When if they just said, "Oh, it's another one of our villains that we got to have Batman fight," I think people would have much less of a negative reaction to them. I agree. All right, let's get to our ratings. So, Steph, what did you rate this issue? The art really threw me. Like, I understand people liking you know March, I really do, but oh, that. Riddler with this is your rating. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Okay. You you sound like me last week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I guess there's nothing really wrong with it. It's moving the story along. It's focusing on people that I want to hear from. Three out of five. Better ranks. Three out of five. I will give it three and a half. I'm going to give it 3 out of 5, and over on the website, Scott also gave it 3 out of 5, giving this uh, average score of 3 out of 5 batarangs for Batman number 87. All right, Theo, why don't you take us away on Detective Comics number 1019. Detective Comics 1019, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Scott Godleski. Godluski, hope I'm saying that right. Bruce Wayne and Lucius Fox dodge just in time as the Vikings' axe swing down and into the floorboards where they had been standing just mere seconds ago. There's hardly any time to recover before the axe swings down once more. Bruce catches it as it bears down towards his head and runs towards the live wire still humming through the wreckage of the podium. The Viking readies himself for another deadly swing as Bruce backflips over the wire, causing the Viking to smash down into the wire, electrifying the axe and catapulting the, vi- the villain away. The police arrives and Bruce feigns fatigue so he and Lucius can get back to Wayne Manor and the Batcave but not before plucking a strand of the Vikings' hair for later analysis. Later that evening, Bruce examines old Nordic manuscripts and deduces that the recent crimes were related to the pagan blood eagle sacrifice for the winter solstice. At St. Anthony Hospital, 
two gods are jostling, are jostling each other until they hear metallic clanging in the room besides them. They open the door in time to be attacked by a pair of flaming chains, which downs them both. Back in the Batcave, Bruce examines the hair sample and eventually identifies the Viking as Soren Rinsdale, someone with barely any record at all. He does discover, however, that Rensdale disappeared in the final week in, in the final week of December. He immediately jumps into the Batmobile to return to the scene of the first crime, Botanical Gardens, Gotham. Batman realizes two things. First, the edges of the symbol in the snow have melted. And secondly, the nearest tree not only has snow stuck to it, but it's also warm to the touch. This is all he's able to gather before a flaming chain snaps around his neck and he is swung to the ground. A group of two torch-bearing people taunt him, chanting for sacrifice. Bruce, in their language, calls the group murderers, and the elder, dragging the hospital patient to the tree, orders one of the group to send him to hell. At the elder recite a sacrificial prayer, the patient wakes up. Though groggy, the patient, none other than the Viking himself, Soren Rensdale, recognizes the, er the elder and demands to know what happened to his head. Batman begins to recover, but not soon enough. The elder continues to recite his incantations and opens Soren's mouth so forcefully it rips. Batman swings a chain around the elder's neck and yanks him away, only to see that the damage has been done. And from Soren's mouth, a grotesque being emerges, declaring that their god has come to bring hell. Batman works to find a weakness in this creature with no success. The creature does, however, reveals, reveals itself as not any god nor demon from Norse mythology, but as one of many beings that open doorways through group through groupthink, using the name and keywords to open portals. As Batman tries desperately to stop the attack, the creature grasps and devours the Elder, whom we find out to just be an actor by the name of Jack, Jack Elder, thus closing the gate and returning Soren to his natural state. Our story ends with Bruce closing out his audio case file. Soren has been drugged by an elder, but has escaped. Through hallucinations, he believed himself to be the harbinger of Yuletide, thus becoming the catalyst to the cult's demise. As for the creature, it seems to have had his way and returned to wherever it came from. So... I came up with two questions after reading this issue, and it's not necessarily about the issue itself, but of the arc and of what we have since seen um, since Tomasi's come on to the book. So my first question is this. So we're now a few issues into the post-City of Bane uh, timeline. What are your early thoughts on Tomasi's take of Batman without Alfred? I think that 
it's it's really difficult for me to say a, a status quo just because we have this arc which is um not terribly impressive and doesn't really delve that deeply into Batman's character and what he's feeling and then you have the um the Tom Taylor villain issue which I think was much more enjoyable. It's it's very difficult for me to to see a story where Batman has to fight elder gods from beyond in a Viking cult. That that's not the kind of story I usually associate with Batman. I mean, in Batman Eternal, I didn't like the story where Bat Batwing had to fight haunted Arkham. This feels like the same kind of thing. I I don't like Batman having to fight the supernatural very often. And I think mm-hmm. anyone uh, I have actually said this too. I am edgy about the Court of Owls sometimes because the undying talons push my buttons a little too far into the supernatural territory. I, I just think Batman should be more grounded in his villains. So I, I want to get some more meat and potatoes style issues of Tomasi under my belt before I can really say what the status quo is going to be. Yeah, I feel like with supernatural i check out and so i kind of expect my heroes to check out <laughs> and so i just don't expect too much emotional development which is i mean you know totally not true superman does supernatural not supernatural he does he does outlandishly crazy stuff and that's an emotional book and so obviously it's possible but that's just not my expectation and so when it's something like this and like the cutest thing we got was, you know, him turning to Lucius when he's fine after the attack, but he has to act like he's in despair. Like that was a cute little like moment of humanity and him bonding with out with, uh, I now I'm doing it uh, with Lucius. <laughs> but I mean, other than that, like this book, real this story didn't really give much opportunity for much really to happen to for us to get a, to know either Lucius more or their relationship more or whatever. Like when I found out Tomasi was going to be in this book, I thought we'd have more relationships with people and more character moments. And this storyline really didn't have that. And that's just, so this story, especially in itself and most of the previous issues, we really haven't seen too much of the Alfred death fallout other than really that Christmas issue. And the annual, which I will be talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of the same thought. You know, when Tomasi was first announced announced to be the writer on Detective, I was really looking for some relationships to mm-hmm. really come up come about from it, you know, considering his run, uh, especially with uh, Batman and Robin and, and that relationship with Bruce and Damien. Um, and we kind of got hints of it early on. You know, there were those few issues where Damien was a part of the story arc and there was the, this communication with uh, Bruce and Damien about, hey, you know, I, I, I know I haven't been around, but when this is all said and done, you and I need to talk. So it really gave me hope that we were going to see a lot of that. Uh, But when I met Tomasi at uh, a recent con that he attended here in in the New Orleans area, you know, when he said that, he told me that, you know, Damien wasn't going to be around 
for a while and that he had been instructed to not touch Damien. So, you know, my hope again was that, well, if Damien wasn't going to be the one, perhaps we would see more of Lucius, more mm-hmm. of of Alfred, and then, of course, City of Bain happened, of course. But, um, you know, unlike what we see in the main title where Bruce is really anguishing over the loss of Alfred, you don't see much of this in Tomasi's run. You know, in, in this issue, he mentions Alfred just once in the standpoint of how he has the library cataloged and that's it. Um, so that, that leaves me a little disappointed. Um, I'm hoping that over time it changes because, you know, if there's one thing that, that Tomasi has been good at, which of course me and Steph have both mentioned is his ability to, to really write out relationships and, and put family on the page. Um, if I can remember, he and Tanya are both going to be co-writing the RIP one-shot. So I'm hoping that we get a little bit more emotion out of out of Bruce and um, his his loss of Alfred. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. Um, but I think it's a little early just because we had the fill-in issue and this is kind of an outlandish arc. So... Ask it again, uh, maybe on a listener feedback. Okay, so my second question is, um, what's your take on Tomasi's writing these these shorter two, sometimes three-issue arcs? And do you think that these shorter arcs will work now that uh, tech is going to be monthly? This is the last issue where Detective is a twice-a-month book. So do you think these shorter two-issue, three-issue arcs will work? In principle, yes. I think that the two uh, to three-issue arcs, or even just one-shots, are a good choice, um, especially since I think Tomasi has the ability to do a good one-shot or two-shot, plus threading in issues that will lead to like a bigger a bigger story later. Um, I know it was kind of annoying when he was doing that with Mister Freeze, but I actually, um, looking back, maybe just because of the comparison to now, I actually like the Mister Freeze arc a lot better than what we've been getting recently. Um, I agree, especially I, with this arc. Yeah, yeah. I I thought that the the choice to make uh uh. Mrs. Freeze, I guess you'd call her uh, the villain and and sort of change the status quo. Even, you know, it's going to come back and Mr. Freeze isn't going to be frozen forever, but he's frozen for now. And that's kind of a cool reversal. I mean, it's not just what I expected. So this one was what I expected. It's literally a filler arc. Everything goes back to normal at the end of the thing. No one's really affected by it. It doesn't really feel like Batman saved anyone. So it's just I think shorter arcs are good, especially since the two longer arcs Tomasi's done have been the um, the one where he was stuck in artificial 
a virtual reality for six issues and then the six issues where he fought Arkham Knight and I just didn't think either of those was 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 terribly memorable. I mean, I know Dustin really was frustrated that um he copied uh Kong Skull Island in the the one arc where he where Bruce Wayne went on the plane, but I I enjoyed that arc pretty well and I enjoyed the Mr. Freed arc pretty well. So and those were shorter as well. I think those were both about three issues. So I, I'd be happy if Tomasi stuck with these shorter arcs. As am, long... Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, as long as it's not this arc. I mean, this was one of those filler arcs that really just did not sit well with me. Yeah, that's kind of what I was going to say. It's like, now that you don't have to pump these out bi-monthly, it's like, put a little more thought into these, please. <laughs> Make them at least, I mean, not again. Like I, I, I try to rein it in a bit and, and remind you all that, you know, every issue, even even a year sometimes, it, you can't have the next big thing all the time. But it should at least be pleasant. <laughs> It should be at least, you know, a good read, even if it's forgettable. Like, you can still have something that was awesome that, you know, you're not going to remember every day. But, yeah, it's something a little more interesting than the too many flip-flops that happened in this one. And then in the end, it wasn't that rewarding anyway. But, yeah, I think he could do just fine, just as long as he bumps up the quality just a a hair. I do want to ask one question about the art. Uh, this is Scott Godlewski, who I think has done a lot of fill-ins for the Batline in general. What do you think about it? I I liked it. I mean, he reminds me a little bit of um, um, got a bit of a oh, I'm so bad with names. The guy who used to do Detective, and he did the second Hushes. Um, Justin, he's really Wyatt? famous. Yes, thank you. He he is winnish, like not not like verbatim, like copycat, but I like the kind of face shapes and the the feels of the thing, of the personalities I kind of get from the characters. I, I, is a little bit Dustin winnish, but I like it. I can tell who they are <laughs> and what's going on. Yeah, I I enjoyed it. I um, I think it went well, especially with the color that was. Um, you you got the sense of what the story was trying to do. Um, I did not have a problem. For some reason, I don't know why I thought Steph was thinking about Eddie Barrows when when Ian asked about the art. Uh, But no, I enjoyed this art um, in this arc um, much more than I enjoyed the story itself. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I thought it was pretty standard house style, but it was clean, well told. I mean, they didn't put bad artists on Detective Comics, so good to good to see. So, what are our ratings? Um, two, (laughs) one and a half, two, one and a half, just for the art because I liked it. Uh, I am still holding out hope that. Tomasi will bring it all together. Um, so I will go with two and a half. I'm also going to go with two and a half. And over on the website, Donald gave it a two and a half as well. So the overall score for Detective Comics 1019 is two and a half. 
on to our final book of the night, which is Detective Comics Annual Number 3. Detective Annual Number 3, written by Peter J. Tomasi, art by Summit Kumar and Eduardo Riso. In the past, we see a young and spry Alfred Pennyworth, or Agent P, in a model American city used to train Soviet spies. He's working for MI6 and escaping with information, informational contraband that four of his fellow officers have already died trying to obtain. In the present, Batman saves a young family from a burning building before returning to an empty home. He is surprised to see a lady in his home. He's not alone. Marigold Sinclair, an MI6 superior of Alfred's, is there. Alfred had told her to come to the mansion if she ever needed help and had nowhere else to go. The information Alfred had retrieved in the flashback at the top of the issue revealed that a friend of his from the Academy, Mr. Kendall Pierce, was actually working for the Soviets. And this devastated Alfred. Soon after Alfred learned this information, he left to take care of the Waynes and then the orphaned Bruce Wayne. Marigold drops hints that she knows there's more to Bruce than meets the eye, and that is why she's telling him that Kendall Pierce has been found. She hasn't taken the info to the British government because she is retired and the Russians are no longer our enemy, so settling the score against Kendall would be frowned upon. She leaves hinting at a meeting place in two days in Ukraine. Two nights later in Ukraine, Marigold takes Batman to the faux American city where Kendall has apparently gone alone to die. Marigold tells Batman she hopes he sees justice for Alfred Dunn before Kendall dies, and she takes off, not wanting to be seen at this location. Batman doesn't really trust her and has done some research and found out on his own that she was not only Alfred's boss, but she was Pierce's boss as well. He also worked for MI6. Uh, Batman proceeds with caution, and after distracting himself, reminiscing about Alfred, he is attacked by the NKV Demon, a legendary Soviet assassin. However, the man behind the mask is newer, agile, and strong, and Batman allows the assassin to take him out and bring him to the brains behind the operation. Pierce. Pierce starts monologuing about why he hates Britain, and when Marigold shoots him in the arm, she is there as well. She has followed Batman. The demon attacks her, but Batman takes him out and tells Marigold to put down her gun. Pierce babbles on a bit about why he felt like he never belonged to MI6 or Britain, and then Marigold shoots near his head to shut him up. Batman takes him away, and Marigold puts the gun down. Days later, Bruce is cleaning up the mansion because it's nasty. Marigold suddenly appears, citing the MI6 motto, Semper Oculus, always secret, and they remember Alfred together. The rest of the issue is a letter to Marigold from Alfred, recounting a normal week taking care of a normal billionaire trust fund kid juxtaposed and paralleled by the imagery in the background showing Bruce slowly creating and becoming Batman with Alfred's help. The letter ends with Alfred mentioning how blessed he is to find an employer who has real need of him. The end. Um, You're welcome. I didn't really have any questions about this one, um, but how do you feel, like, do you think this was a better tribute to alfred than anything else we've gotten so far (laughs) yes yes (laughs) yes and yes this 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 is exactly i was hoping for with regards to the life without without alfred um i 
totally enjoyed this story more than uh, 1019. Um, seeing seeing Alfred as the focal point um, was truly impressive. This, I'll admit, when 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 she first showed up and said. You know, I'm a friend of Alfred, and Alfred, you know, told me to come here. The first thing that I was expecting was her to be that she was supposed to be his replacement, <gasps> and <laughs> and you know, so this was a story I truly enjoyed. Um, considering what we got the week prior, um, yes, yes. Yes, and yes, that's all I'm just gonna I'm gonna end it with that. <laughs> I thought that this was a, a nice little story. I um I have to admit I'm not a huge fan of Alfred's pre Bruce days. I, I had the same general meh reaction to Scott Snyder's The First Ally. I don't find all that stuff interesting because I read Batman comics for Batman. I don't, I, well, not just Batman, the Bat family. I'm really looking forward to the Pennyworth RIP, which is mostly about the Bat family and their relationship with Alfred. And that, I think, is what I was talking before. Giving Alfred sort of a solo adventure here and then a look back at the first days of his time with Bruce, I, I definitely think it was well done. I just, um, it's not what I myself was looking for, if that makes sense. It does. I, I, I'm i willing to go with it if that's the direction they wanted to go. So I was actually a little disappointed it ended up being like a Batman story, finding out about Alfred. Whereas I wish it had maybe been more of a parallel story of as Batman's finding out, you maybe uncover more about what Alfred had done and make it just be more like a Alfred is the hero story. Whereas here is this kind of mentioned that he was the hero and and then the rest of it is about, you know, his friend who betrayed him and Mary Gold. So um, I was a little disappointed because I didn't read the solicits. I had no idea what I was getting into. So I was a little disappointed as I was reading the issue. But all in all, it was fine. And I, I did like that it seemed to honor Alfred. And and I guess in this rendition of Alfred, you know, he's he's the former spy and actor. So it was it was I, I just went with it. I was fine with it. So I had a couple questions. Um, did you think that the choice to do two stories was a good one for this annual, or do you think it might have been better if it had more or just one story? I think the story that was told was was fine to end. <laughs> um, I was kind of glad that as I kept reading, I was like, oh, okay, we're not just milking the rest of this, this story for more. It's 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 not even a story. The rest of it is just, you know, it's just that, that letter with, with seeing – Batman being born and I, 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 I liked the break and I liked, I liked the history lesson, I guess. Yeah. I, I enjoyed the, the callback to year one, um, which is kind of what we were getting with that backstory, uh, with that second story. And, you know, it was, it was okay. I'm okay with it. I thought, Again, like I say, I, I enjoyed the callback that, you know, the letter that Alfred wrote did, um, you know, as he's telling 
his story. Um, we're seeing scenes from year one and beyond. So I'm okay with that. That I thought that was a nice touch. And they were, even though, so, you know, they were from Bruce's point of view, they're kind of also from Alfred's point of view. And it is always interesting to see what he sees and the anxiety he felt as a pseudo parent and, and all that. I thought, I thought that was a good, good twist on a story that's now a classic story. I do think that Tomasi did a very good job with Alfred's voice, especially in the letter. Um, I, I kind of wish he'd gone for more stories, honestly. I think that the main story of the spy could have been one, and then maybe one about his days as an actor, as another, and then the year one letter. Um, maybe just because mm-hmm. I I didn't find the villains or the connection. If they'd, if they'd had uh, Mademoiselle Marie, the French uh, World War II fighter who Alfred has been historically linked with romantically, I think maybe I would have felt that the the spy story had a little more weight, but this kind of, it's a brand new female character we've never heard of before. And she mm-hmm. loved Alfred and uh, it just felt like that could have been a little shorter story. Um, but I, I think that wasn't bad. Uh, next question was, what do you think about um, the, the two artists? We got Sumnit Kumar for the spy story and Eduardo Riso for the, the letter story. What were your reactions to those different art styles? I did not like the letter one. Like, I guess the feel of it was kind of the year one um, Frank Miller ish, but I didn't like that one either. So <laughs> I didn't, wasn't a big fan. Uh, the other one was just, you know, fairly, fairly standard, normal. And I am the opposite. opposite? <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I love it. Joy. Art uh, more than more than the other, but again, I'm the old guy, you know. So <laughs> I grew up on uh, Year One and and uh, Frank Miller and, and Mavi Kelly, uh, so that style was really was really a nice callback for me. I didn't actually make the connection to Year One in the art style, just because Eduardo Riso is such a, a strong talent on his own. He did um, the, the dark Knight uh, story with Paul Dini about the time when Paul Dini got mugged while he was working on Batman, the animated series. He also is famous did, for, yeah, go ahead. Did, didn't he also do um, that, um, that, that callback with the, uh, Frank Miller on the DK side with regards to um, Jason. No, um, that was that was John Romita Jr. Um, he did work with Frank Miller on um, Dark Knight Three: The Masterist. He did one of the backups for those stories. Um, and he he does have a, a similar style in some ways to old Frank Miller before Frank Miller did Dark Knight Strikes Again and Sin City. Uh, he also has a, a big at Batman story with Brian Azzarello in, I think, 2005 called, I, I want to say City of Crime, but I could be wrong. Um, he also is famous for working with Brian Azzarello on a crime comic called A Hundred Bullets. Uh, he, he's a veteran. He's very talented. I just don't like the way he draws faces. I think the composition, and I, I did really like the coloring, but the way he drew the faces didn't work for me. I, I thought I would agree with Steph that the the main story was just kind of standard, very house style, not bad at all. But it didn't 
stand out to me in a really exciting way. Edward Riso's definitely stood out to me. I just um, I didn't have as good a reaction, but I'm really glad that uh, we have someone advocating for him here. That's why we have multiple hosts. One thing I did take note of in the letter uh, part of the of the issue is the um, some of the fighting panels are kind of like a silhouette of of fighting with a color like brightly colored red background, and the, what that made me think of as you know a Catwoman fan, and I've collected a lot of Catwoman uh, issues of of run, different runs, is um, the Batman and Robin from the New Fifty Two issue number twenty two. Uh, where Robin is gone, um, Catwoman guest stars in the issue, and they they fight together. And a lot of those panels uh, have red and blue and you know different color backgrounds w- with those silhouettes. And both those issues, both this one and and the Batman Robin, were both written by Tomasi. So I thought that was I don't know if that was intentional or a callback or just a story telling device that he likes but um i did i did notice that in the art um and uh admiral i mean theo you had a comment about uh, an alternative story that we could have had for this annual ah yes um what 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 we had been discussing offline uh, was the fact that i would have preferred tale of the one shot with um, you know the, the story with Bruce and Damien and going uh, to the orphanage, I would have preferred seeing this as the annual uh, compared to again not not saying I didn't enjoy this story, but this that story stuck out more with more annual like, especially seeing that Taylor isn't the regular writer and a lot of times we when you get annuals most of the time it's it's with a different writer um and so i was just thinking that that would have been a much better annual story for us that's a that's a really good thought and i think that actually story could have used a bit more page count to sort of develop the hunt sections because the hunt sections felt a little um compressed and i think showing the conflict between Batman and Damien and the uh, kidnappers, I think would have sort of made the payoff a bit stronger. And it was a strong payoff already. Um, I was also thinking that maybe Tom Taylor's Alfred Batman Father's Day story from last year in the Batman annual number three, actually two years ago now. Uh, But I think that might've been uh, really good in this spot too. Um, but uh, with that being said, why don't we go for our ratings for Detective Comics Annual Number 3? I liked it. I, I agree. It probably should, the, the main story should have been shorter and maybe should have been three stories. Um, but uh, I, I'd give it a good three and a half. I think they did a good job with the voices, and and I said it was a, it was a, a good story for me. I will also give it a three and a half. I, I'm going to give it three and a half as well. I was tempted to give it a four just because I do like uh, this a lot better than a lot of what Tomasi's been doing. But the art on the the Riso art just kind of held me back and the the Kumar art didn't really wow me enough. So I'm going to go with 3.5. So all of us agree and that's the overall rating for this issue for now. 
check our website for when the Detective Comics annual review posts later this week. Um, I wanted to mention that uh, we don't have a This Week in the Batman uh, Universe comics video just because this is the this uh, annual is the only comic coming out on Wednesday, uh, which will have already passed by the time this uh, releases. But I didn't think that making a 10-second video saying Detective Comics Annual Number 3 is out this week. Go buy it. <laughs> I didn't think that was a very worthwhile use of anyone's time. So I just made a tweet on the TBU Comics uh, Twitter. Uh, go ahead and follow that. That's where we're going to post all our podcasts and reviews. And I'm trying to interact with the fans and uh, DC's official Twitter more. So it's a little more active. Um, we... Got some good listener feedback on the Discord, so it was in conversation form, so I can't read it out. But something that was mentioned was legacy numbering. So at the top of this podcast, I did mention this is legacy number 289, in addition to Season 12, Episode 2. So we are keeping track of that, so we will have a celebration when we hit Episode 300, unless Dustin decides to retcon our episode count again. (laughs) Um, But uh, I... Someone asked why I decided to do the seasons. I really like the idea of discrete seasons sort of to sort of keep track of the passage of time in a more digestible way. I mean, when you get up to the almost 300s, you can sort of let it blur together. and You don't really remember, well, when did that happen? Whereas if it's season one, episode 10, you might remember that more. It might stick in your head a bit more strongly. So that was my thought on the seasons. It may or may not work at the end of this year. We'll take a reevaluation. Um, we, I do want to take a, some time to mention a couple more housekeeping things. If you are interested in guest hosting, uh, so just, uh, once or twice, uh, in this year doing a spot on the podcast, this, uh, TBU podcast, give me, uh, a tweet or on the discord or send us an email in the show notes. Uh, we'd be more than happy to let you come on and talk about Batman reviews and comics. Uh, we're also looking for permanent and temporary reviewers on the site. Anyone who has some time and would like to get some writing done on Batman comics, give us the same contact. If you want to support TBU, we have a Patreon. We also have a PayPal link in the support section of the website. Uh, we do have uh, early access to our special podcasts and uh, opportunities to vote in polls and all kinds of interesting stuff on the Patreon. And we definitely appreciate that. It helps us uh, host all the episodes we've put on. So, until next time, I've been Ian. This is Steph. And this is Theo. And we will see you next time.